following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. I think it's working now. Let me try that again. Good morning, family. I, I am really excited to, to dive into the Word with you today. and <clears throat> My prayer is that through this process, it will bring to light the gospel to those who are lost in their sin. And um, not only that, but a renewed hope to all of us who have found salvation in Christ and uh, who struggle with our sin still. <clears throat> We're going to zoom out, uh, first of all, to see the big picture of our human condition and then observe the various transformations that take place throughout the life of a believer, and then lastly zoom in to focus on the heart of our Christian struggle. I believe that understanding our history and then the different parts that are in play will better equip us as Christians to, to fight against our sin and will, will give us hope, um, both now in our daily lives against our, our, our struggle against sin, but also hope for a final victory in eternity with Christ. <clears throat> My goal today is to look at what Paul has to say about this in Romans chapter 7 and 8, uh, which we can find on uh, page 943 in the Pew Bibles, starting at chapter 7. Um, kind of a big chunk all on its own, so we're not, I don't know if we're going to put it on the screen. We can just follow along in the, in the Bible. Um, but uh, as we'll see, Romans is... One big run-on sentence. If you've ever taken a look at it before, it, it kind of needs to be understood as a, as a whole. And then the whole of Romans itself needs to be understood in the context of the rest of Scripture. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us here today. But before we get started, let's, uh, let's go to Lord in prayer. <clears throat> oh God, we thank you for your spirit, um, which you have given to us. It does so many things for us. Um, one of the things that you do through your spirit, Lord, is is enlightening us to the truth <clears throat> that's found in your word. It helps us to understand it. And I pray, Lord, that um, as we go through this today, uh, you would enlighten our hearts, help us to understand the truth that's in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you were to scan through Romans, you would see that most of the chapters begin with a phrase that either contains the word then or therefore, and as we've learned well by now that what we have to do, we have to keep going backwards to see what the therefore is there for and what happened before. Um, so I want to briefly summarize Romans chapters 1 through 6 uh, to give us the context, but we still have to go back a little further than that, um, back to Genesis, the creation and the fall. So, in Genesis, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Most of us know this story already. In six days, all of creation was spoken into existence by the word of God, which is Jesus, the Son. It says in the book of John, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And by him and through him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So out of nothing came light and darkness, the heavens 
land and sea, vegetation and trees, the sun, moon, and stars, all the living creatures to inhabit the sky, the sea, and the land, and all of this he called good. But then last of all, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I think that is incredibly special. I mean, the creation of the world part is mind-blowing and all, (laughs) but to be created in the image of our creator, to have his likeness, he didn't do that for any other part of creation, which he created out of nothing, but he purposely made us to resemble himself. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 sheds a little bit of light on this describing what happens to us when we die. It says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. God gave us each a unique spirit in addition to our flesh, which gives us an awareness of things beyond just this material world, and we have the ability to know our creator. Something that the animals don't have the ability to do. Another key element of being an image bearer of God is that he has inscribed his moral law on the hearts of all humans. This gives us the ability to distinguish between right and wrong and points us to God's perfect standard. Paul alludes to this fact in Romans 2.14 when he says, That when the Gentiles by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. The words by nature point to how they were created in the image of God and intuitively know God's laws. How is this possible? Because Paul says in verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. So, God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. And he called them very good. And they were. By nature, at their creation, Adam and Eve were sinless. They were free to enjoy walking in the glory of God's presence. And their heart's desires were for him. They had no awareness of sin. No knowledge of it. They were perfectly happy and content with what God had given them. We read about the first commandment that God ever made to man in chapter 2 of Genesis. He said, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This was as if to say, I know what is good. And what is evil? And I desire to spare you from the burden of that knowledge. Trust me. Obey this command, and you will have life eternal. But if you do not, you will get exactly what you desire, and it will kill you. It was a good law, intended for blessing. And initially, there was no indication that they would want to disobey it. But we know what happens next, the fall. In Genesis 3, 1 through 7, it describes how Satan craftily distorted God's words to tempt Adam and Eve 
to distrust God's motives. They were deceived by the sinful influence of Satan, and Adam and Eve coveted what God told them they couldn't have. They chose not to trust God's plan for them, and ultimately made the choice which corrupted the goodness of their nature. Man's nature became totally depraved, which makes them unable to please God and enslaved to sin. So from then on, humanity was burdened with this problem of sin. It took what was holy and righteous and good and permanently tainted it. Humanity is still made in the image of God. We still bear his image. But it no longer perfectly reflects him anymore. And the morality that was written on our hearts became clouded, causing everyone to do what is right in his own eyes and not in the eyes of God. This is why humanity needed a savior. It needed intervention. It needed regeneration. This fallen condition of humanity sets the stage for the gospel. Because you can't appreciate the good news of the gospel without first understanding the bad news. Right? Which brings us Back to Romans. <clears throat> so I do want to provide a, a brief summary of Romans 1 through 6 to give us the context. Um, we need to understand what I'm trying to get to here today in 7 and 8. Um, so here we go. Paul's aim in Romans was to preach the gospel. It was his aim to preach the gospel, which was the good news of salvation to everyone who receives it by faith. God can be and is known by man because he has revealed himself through creation. And so man is without excuse. But man suppresses this truth about God because of his unrighteousness and his darkened heart, choosing instead to desire the things of the flesh rather than the things of God. So all people are held accountable to God by his law, which he has written on the heart's of all men, and the doers of this law will be justified. But the wrath of God is reserved for those who sin under it. The bad news is that no one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Obedience to the law is a matter of the heart, which means inward reform is needed not merely outward change in, in behavior or in our appearance. But due to our sinfulness, the law cannot save us. It serves to reveal our unrighteousness. But here comes the good news. The good news is that the law also points us to the one who is righteous, the one who is able to keep it perfectly, Jesus Christ. And that through faith in him, we can be justified and reconciled to God our Father. This is a gracious gift that was purchased us by the blood of Jesus and can only be received by faith alone. Because of this, we have no grounds for boasting in ourselves, but only in him. 
In the same way, Abraham's obedience to the law didn't earn his righteousness. Rather, his faith in God's promise, which came first, was counted to him as righteousness. This was essential for the promise to be guaranteed to all his offspring, which includes us, by the way, because it must rest solely on God's grace alone and not on the law. So therefore, our faith is also counted to us as righteousness when we believe that God is able to do what he said he would do through Jesus. And now, we can rejoice in the hope of future glory, but also rejoice in our current struggles with sin, because through it, we are being further transformed by the Holy Spirit. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? No, right? Jesus died and was raised in order that our bondage to sin might be put to death, and that we might now walk in the newness of life. This is our regeneration, our second birth. We are no longer, not, no longer spiritually dead, but alive to God. We are no longer slaves to sin, which leads to death, but are free to obey a new master who gives eternal life free to serve in the new way of the Spirit. Hallelujah, amen? This is the gospel. And I pray, I pray, and I've been praying that there are people listening today who heard this good news and found salvation from their sins and can now join with us in the Spirit's renewal. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 18, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses, or the law, is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, well, we finally arrived back at chapter 7, which again is on page 943. And this is where the struggle gets real. But with all of this wonderful truth still fresh in our minds, let's dive in. I'm going to start by reading verses 7 in chapter 7 to 12. And as I do, as I do, try to imagine it in the context of Adam right after the fall. Okay? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, purchased, uh, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. 
For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seasoning an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Can you hear Adam possibly saying these words? It's almost as if Paul knew the story or something. (laughs) Adam had no consciousness of sin in the garden before God commanded him not to eat of the tree. But as soon as the commandment came, temptation was quick to follow. In their case, though, with Adam and Eve not being sinful by nature at that moment in time, the influence of sin came externally through the tempter, through Satan. As Eve said in Genesis 3.13, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The commandment that God had given promised life. It did. But when sin came alive in them, it proved to be death just as God had warned, right? What was holy and righteous and good in them had died. Paul knew the story of Adam and Eve in the fall, of course, and he saw that same story play out throughout the course of history in our race, and also including himself, as he's writing here in Romans. Paul wanted to be sure that his readers understood, though, that it wasn't the law itself that brought about death, because the law is good, commandment is good and holy and righteous and good. Because if that was the case, the source of death would be God, right? But in reality, it was sin that produced death through the law. Now at last we have arrived to the very heart of what I wanted to share with you guys today. And um, So let's continue reading in Romans 7, 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, and the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul 
being a little bit vulnerable here, right? He's sharing something personal in his life. He he did this probably because he knew that the Christians reading this would be able to relate to this conflict, right? Can you relate to it? <laughs> I know I can. Um, but he wanted them to know that they were not alone in the struggle, but that it is a law, a reality, to go through this, and it is common across all believers. Paul uses the word law in this passage several times, but it's not always in the same with the same meaning or connotation. Obviously, the, when he says the law of God, it is the one that we are to obey, right? The one written on our hearts. But when he says, I find it to be a law, it is in the same way that the word is used in like, a law of gravity, a law of physics, right? It's something, it is something that is a fact. It's a reality, something that has been proven over and over again. And, uh, and then there is the war between the law of my mind, which is our conscience, and the law of sin, which is our fallen nature. It's a constant conflict there, war. And, and this tension, that we all feel, right? This struggling is the direct result of the already but not yet state of being a believer. We are already justified by the blood of Jesus. Amen? We already reconciled to God the Father and have peace with him. We are already regenerated by the indwelling of his spirit in our hearts. But we're not yet glorified in our flesh. So this battle with the desires of our sinful flesh still rages on. We're not yet freed from sin's influence. But thank God we are free to struggle with it. Amen? I think that too often, you know, in my case, we get stuck in the mire of this struggle. We we feel constantly discouraged with our sin and it feels hopeless, like we're always failing. Paul does echo this frustration by exclaiming in verses 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't stop there. He brings his focus back onto the one who can? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul wanted his readers to have hope. And that's why he shares the most amazingly encouraging truth in Romans chapter 8. He says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to 
the Spirit. No condemnation. We must let those words change our perspective of ourselves. Yes, we still sin. Far too often. (laughs) But by his grace, we are released from its bondage and need not fear its wages. What God has required of us by his law, he has fulfilled in us through Jesus. He began the work. He will finish it. And so now our focus needs to shift from the things of the flesh to the things of the spirit. Let's not dwell on our sinfulness and feel condemned, right? Even Or even doubtful of our salvation, which it could possibly lead to, right? Because this is Satan's weapon against the believer. He wants that. But instead, let's be convicted of our sin, of our sin by the Spirit and be motivated to constantly strive in the Spirit for righteousness. Okay? Like Paul said, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. So obviously our aim now is righteousness. We must struggle. And the Spirit is here to help us. He has opened our eyes to the truth that is in Scripture. He convicts us of sin and causes repentance. He is our seal of salvation, which is not going to get taken away. He regenerates our hearts and renews the image of God in us from its fallen state. He continually sanctifies us to be more Christ-like day by day. He unveils our clouded morality and quickens our conscience. He is our guide. He enables us to understand the word of God and reveals to us what the will of God is through it. He assists us and intercedes for us in prayer. He gives us strength in our weakness and he frees us to struggle. Amen. Paul completes his encouragement in this section uh, in verses 14 through 25 by reminding his readers of their hope for future glory. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected 
to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. This is our hope. This is our future. It is sure. It has been paid for us. The struggles and sufferings of this life will cease. And the redemption of our sinful flesh and the glory that we receive will be eternal. But while we wait, remember, our struggle against sin is not a curse. It is a gift of grace. Something we did not have the ability to do before we were saved. And that there is no condemnation in Christ when we still fail in our own strength. God doesn't leave us here to do it on our own. His own spirit dwells in us to motivate and empower our efforts and leads us through the knowledge of his word which informs our own consciousness. He told us to love him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And with his help, we can We can win the daily battles until at last we are glorified with him in heaven. Paul says at the end of chapter 8 that in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord and nothing is going to separate us from his love. Be encouraged, family. Hope in Jesus and draw strength from his spirit and struggle while he completes the work he began in you from one degree of glory to another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, how can we express our thankfulness enough? all that you have done for us. You saw our fallen state and you provided a way of salvation. And you are continuing to restore your image in us, O God, through the process of sanctification with the indwelling of your spirit. Lord, we have the desire to honor you and obey your law. We know that it is good Give us the strength, we pray, to obey. In your name we pray. Amen. 
If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.